So anyway, we are continuing with our series called The Power in the Name. And um, today I am going to take us through uh, Jehovah Shalom. And uh, before we do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for such an awesome time in worship. Uh, we just bless you. Lord, we receive your word, uh, even as it is about to be shared right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you are new here, this is my Bible. Uh, it's not a who and why. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so Sammy's got a who and why, so she's just been getting the brunt of this. But uh, God bless you, Sam. I think it's a great phone. Um, you know, you're still saved. Uh, the Lord loves you. Um, <laughs> Pastor Andrew's former life, he used to work for, is it, is it Steve Jobs or Job Steve, whichever. But whichever comes first, he used to work for, yeah, he gave Steve his first job. <laughs> but anyway, jokes aside, family, we start, it's Christmas time, so I was trying to be a bit light. And then we're going to go back into the serious business. Um, Jehovah Shalom. Now, open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. We are really going to be in the book of Judges throughout the message. Uh, we might get out of the book of Judges now and again, perhaps just to support what the book of Judges say. But, um, yes, that's where we're going to go. So I'm going to read our first scripture. It is the story of uh, a man called Gideon and a nation. But we'll understand the whole story in a moment. Judges chapter 6 verse 1 to 6 says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of, the, of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Uh, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Amen. Now this is uh, the story of rebellion, oppression, repentance, deliverance. A cycle that the people of God, which really characterizes the book of Judges. Where the people of God would forget about what the Lord had asked them to do. They would rebel against God and their rebellion would lead to their oppression. And then they would remember the word of the Lord again and then repent. And their repentance would lead to their deliverance and restoration. And, and sometimes the cycle happens also in our lives when we intentionally refuse to follow what we know so well God has asked us to do. And, and that leads us to be oppressed either by a situation or by some form of adversity in our lives. 
And we only are restored when we realize that, hey, we have fallen so far short of the grace of God, we need to go back to him. And in repentance, the Lord delivers us and restores us. And so this cycle is going on and on. And there were various other judges that came. They would do good. The Lord would bless them. Then they would do evil. Their enemy would oppress them. And so here is this story that reminds us of what we're talking about today. Uh, the Lord of peace, uh, unlike what we read in Genesis 26 when the Lord prospered Isaac, these people were greatly impoverished. This was the situation. So they would work for the whole year. And then the enemy would come and take away what they had worked for the entire year. Now imagine how horrible that was. That your entire year's salary, savings, whatever you have, taken away from you by an enemy. Now, who, who is this enemy? Two, three weeks ago, we talked about the Amalekites, which I believe you still remember who they are. But there's a new enemy who's been introduced here, the Midianites. You know, who are the Midianites? So I, I went back and tried to study who the Midianites are. When you read Genesis 26, when Abraham uh, uh, Sarah died, Abraham got for himself another wife. Uh, and the wife's name was called Keturah. All right? Maybe Pastor Andrew would pronounce it in, in, in Hebrew better than, than that, but Keturah nonetheless. Uh, and, and the wife's name was Keturah, and I don't know how it happened, but Abraham was so old and still had six sons <laughs> with this lady, you know. <laughs> you know, um, but anyway, um, so, so there's hope for you here if you're old and you're still single, um, you're over 50, 60. I mean, if Abraham, <laughs> over 100, <laughs> Abraham, nobody, who's 100 years old here in this house? Uh, awesome. So there's hope for you. Um, I can see you. There's hope for you. So Abraham took a wife for himself, and with Keturah, he had six sons. No, six sons are mentioned. We don't know how many daughters uh, he had. So he continued, uh, yeah, to be fruitful. Thank you, Masakar. <laughs> he continued. I would have used a secular terminology rather than a more biblical one. So thank you, Pastor Carol. <laughs> So he continued being fruitful. And so he, the Midianites are the grandchildren of one of the sons of Abraham with this woman, Keturah. Now the reason why I'm mentioning this is not to give you a history that would not help you. It's to say this, that Abraham did not yet learn the message that God was giving him. God had told him that he was going to have one son of promise and that son would give birth to a nation and that nation would give birth to a Messiah. And so we saw the situation in Pastor Carol's previous messages where we were told about Hagar and how she was asked to leave the house so that Isaac would grow up without being dented in any way or form. And so Abraham had this experience already with God where God had asked him to send away his wife. He doesn't understand here that God doesn't want him to have another person who is going to interfere with his plan for humanity. 
And so Abraham's desire probably was a legitimate desire for comfort. And for another wife gave birth to an enemy who almost threatened the very existence of the promise of God to him. His own desire, wanting to find some companionship, someone to keep him uh, company or someone to help him, gives birth to an enemy. He didn't know that what he was doing was going to affect the generations to come. When our choices and our decisions collide with the plans and the purposes of God in our lives, conflict becomes almost inevitable. Because then there is a situation that is presented us where we have the plans and the purposes of God for your life versus your own plans and desires for your life. And when the two exist, they cannot coexist. And so then we are, we are presented with two choices, at least in my view. One is either we surrender to the plan and purposes of God for our lives or we stick to our own plans and desires and face the consequences of what those would bring. And in this case, they gave birth to an enemy who was going to destroy the very existence of the promise of God. That was going to ultimately give birth to a Messiah so that you and I can be saved. And so these were the Midianites. And so these people came after the people of God and destroyed everything they had. It seemed as though they had no other intention but to make them poor. They, they didn't kill them. They just wanted to take things from them because they knew that as long as they are poor, they are almost uh, they are castrated. They are powerless to be able to pursue the things that God was calling them to pursue. And so in order to uh, hold them back from pursuing the plans and the purposes of God, they were impo impoverished by their enemy. And so these were the Midianites. And so the story continues in Judges chapter 6, 11 to 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth uh, tree, which was in Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the, in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And so when the people had seen, the Lord sent them a prophet, and the prophet reminded them of how far they had gone from God. There was a pause there, and then this scripture in verse 11 came, when the angel of the Lord comes. The angel of the Lord comes and finds Gideon threshing wheat so that he can hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord comes and finds Gideon in his most vulnerable time. He is afraid of his enemy. He is fearful. He knows that the, the sustenance of his family is going to be taken away by the enemy. Gideon is entrenched in sin because as we go on later, you realize that Gideon's father had an idol in the house for them to worship. So he was entrenched in sin. He was an, a person who worshipped idols. But we see a God who comes down. Imagine for a moment with me. 
The God who created the universe, this magnificent God that we were singing about in worship, comes down to a place and a person who is threshing wheat at the wine press. In his fear, in his sin, and when he's being oppressed by the enemy. What kind of God is that? What kind of God would be so loving and so caring that even when I'm at my lowest, he would still come and sit with me? How can he be so great and yet be so involved in my life? Gideon, and deserving of the grace of God because he's, 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 a, he's a person who worships idols. But God knew that he was in need of a savior. Isn't that the story of salvation that Jesus Christ would step down from heaven and come down to find you and me even at our lowest times? When we are entrenched in our own pride and self-righteousness and sin, that Jesus Christ would die for us, as the word says, whilst we were still seen as Christ died for us. And the Lord comes to Gideon at that low time of his life. And he sits down, gives us a posture of God who is not in a hurry, but is just willing to engage you even when you are at your lowest. Gideon had not yet realized that he was actually speaking to God at this time. And so the story continues. Then Gideon said to him, after he realized that he was talking to God, Gideon said, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Now, if you can underline that, how, how can God wait for a human being? But I'll continue the story and I'll explain to us what that means. I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the cherubim tree and presented them. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Now, here's the story of Gideon. Gideon has just realized that he has had an encounter with the creator of everything. And he has the courage to say to God to wait for him. And God has the character to be patient enough with Gideon and wait for him. Now, it wasn't like, Lord, let me just quickly go into the house and come back. This guy was going to kill a goat, skin it, cook it, and bring it to the Lord. Now, you know how long that can take. <laughs> but yet the Lord says, I am going to wait for you until you come back with your offering. I don't care how long it takes you to come back to me, but I will wait for you so patiently until you come back with your offering. Now, this offering was a different offering. This was not a hosting lunch like Pastor Carol was going to do for us. 
yeah, with meat. <laughs> because when you host someone, you would welcome them in your home. Gideon didn't invite this guy in their house. He asked this guy, the angel of the Lord, to wait outside. This implies that this was not just hosting him for lunch. This was a sacrificial offering that Gideon was going to prepare. And so Gideon, somehow by the Holy Spirit, I believe, understands that he has had an encounter with God. And he cannot, go, he cannot offer God anything other than the sacrifice that was required for the atonement of the sins of his house. And so he goes and prepares and lives in bread. Now, unleavened bread was used for sacrifice because leaven was a symbol of sin. And so to present something to God which, uh, which had sin in it was forbidden. And so it was important for him to bring this kind of bread as a sacrifice for his family. And so he goes and makes this unleavened bread and goes and kills an animal and brings both to this angel of the Lord. What does that mean for us? It's nice to hear these biblical stories and animals. <laughs> but what does, the, what does the bread mean for us? So Gideon brings these things and puts them on the altar. The angel of the Lord caused fire to come from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So then we understand that this was a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the household of Gideon. He puts the braid and he puts the goat. Now the braid is a shadow of Jesus Christ who in John chapter 6 would call himself as the bread of life. And the goat was a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. It, there were times instead of a lamb, a goat would be used for a sacrifice. And so Gideon is painting a picture of salvation for his family. He's saying, hey, I am going to bring this so that my family can be atoned for. But this I am also speaking in the future that when Christ comes in the New Testament, he is going to be the bread of life. Which would mean that by him we live, for him and in him we live. So he is the sustenance of our lives. And so Gideon gives these sacrifices to the angel of the Lord. And then the story continues. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. O Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abia's right. Now, I want us to understand this. In other translations, it might translate this differently. But in the New King James, it says, the Lord is peace. It doesn't say the Lord, our peace. So, peace becomes a person rather than a provision. Does that make sense? So, it's no longer just an environment within which nothing is broken, nothing is missing. But it is a person because the Lord is peace. 
And so Gideon gets a revelation that the Lord is peace. And he builds an altar to the Lord. Now, an altar was a place of, of sacrifice. It was a place where you, you would go and lay down your sacrifice, a place of surrender, a place of redemption. So him building this altar, obviously he's, he's insinuating or declaring salvation for his family. Redemption from the sins of his fathers and his household. And so the Lord is peace. I want to take us back to understand the significance of this within the context of Judges chapter 6. The Lord is peace means this. There was a sacrifice called a peace offering. And the peace offering was, was a bit of a different offering compared to your burnt offering and other forms of sacrificial offerings. Now, we don't have all the time to go through the details of your peace offering. So please go read the Bible and research on this. There's a lot of material on YouTube. You know, we, we're living in a, like a technological advanced world. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can find, uh, credible stuff online. <laughs> and you can verify with Pastor Carol. She's doing a master's. So if there's any <laughs> theological founded issue, just, just come and consult with her. But for the sake of our message this morning, I'll just explain what the peace offering was. So there would be a family representative who would be the offerer, who would get an offering which would be a, an animal. So there was an offerer, an offering, and this family representative who's the offerer would take the offering to the high priest. Now, the high priest would act as a mediator between the offerer because of his offering and God. Does that make sense? And so, in order for the sacrifice to be complete, it required all three parties to be present so that the sacrifice can be complete. And so, when Gideon says the Lord is peace. This is what he's saying. Now we're going to read it with scripture to be able to uh, verify what I'm saying, okay? He's saying you are the offerer, you are the offering, and you are the high priest in total together to bring about the redemption of mankind. He's saying that the one that brings reconciliation is peace because this word peace can also be translated reconciliation. The other difference about the peace offering was this. Was that it was divided into three portions. So when the family representative, the offerer, would bring this to the high priest, the high priest would divide the sacrifice into three portions. The one portion would be for the high priest and his family. It's nice to be a high priest. You know, you get to eat meat a lot. <laughs> All these meat sacrifices, I think they encouraged it. Because it's like, you know, they had no fridges at that time. So literally, you know, either you're eating biltong or you're eating fresh meat. But, um, <laughs> thank you. But, so the offerer, okay, brings, now I'm confusing myself, brings the offering, okay, um, I was saying the other portion that is different. There we go. It's three portions, okay? The one portion is for the high priest and his family. 
The second portion is for the offerer, the person who's offering, just for him to eat with his household. And the third portion would be burnt on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And this was, was called peace offering, which meant that it united the three parties in union and unity with God, and therefore they were reconciled to God as a form of peace. Now let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, but with the blood, sorry, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, okay? So we understand he is the offering. Does that make sense there? He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god so he is the offerer okay do you get that offered himself as a blameless person to God. So he is the high priest. He is the offerer. And he is the offering. Where was I? With a spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. And for this reason. He is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now let me break it down. <laughs> so that we understand. Gideon calls the angel of the Lord. He said, the Lord is peace. You don't just give us peace. But you are the person who's offered on this altar to reconcile all of us to yourself. Just like the writer of Hebrews got the revelation of what was happening in the Old Testament. Because that was a shadow of the things that would come in the New Testament. And so our understanding of Jehovah Shalom is not that we can have peace in our hearts. Although God is able to give us peace. But our understanding is that we have been reconciled to God. God because of the offering of Christ. And so what does Jehovah peace mean? The first thing, it means we are reconciled with God. You will never, I can say this boldly, be in peace unless you are reconciled with God. Because peace is not an environment within which you live. Peace is a person that you have in your life. And so we understand that we have been reconciled to God. Now, reconciled to God not because of what you've done. Not because of what your grandparent did. No, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because he is the offerer. He is the offering and he is the high priest. Together he completes the plan of redemption for us. 
Therefore, our reconciliation is not dependent on you, on me, on anybody here. Our reconciliation to God is dependent on the work of Christ on the cross. And so we understand that we are reconciled with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. The second point is this, that I am at peace with myself. When the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, Gideon begins to give him stories more like we always do as people. Gideon says, how would you qualify me? How would you even come down to me? I am the least in my father's house. My family is, my clan is the least here in Manasseh. Why would, you, why would you choose me? Of course, yeah, he doesn't understand that this thing is happening by grace. He's looking to himself to understand why he qualifies for this. When he thinks that he's fearful, when he's hopeless, he's running away from his enemy, the angel of the Lord says, go in the strength you have. How can you tell me to go in the strength I have when you know so well that I'm so afraid? That what I'm doing right now is so that I can hide from the enemies. What strength do I have, Lord? When Christ is our peace, we have peace with ourselves. Gideon had had so many experiences in his own life. Gideon came from a family that was born in Egypt. They weren't like other tribes of Israel because Unlike the other tribes of Israel where the sons of Jacob were a tribe, they were the sons of Joseph, the grandchildren of Jacob who became a tribe. And they couldn't even become one tribe, they had to become two tribes. And so they weren't, a direct, uh, they weren't direct sons of, of Israel, they were grandsons of Israel. And as such, there was a complex with which they grew up with. Because they didn't feel qualified like the other Israelites, excuse me. And the Lord had to reconcile Gideon to himself. I don't know the context within which you grew up. I don't know the things that have beaten you down in your life. I don't know the mistakes that you have made out of ignorance and perhaps even stupidity. I don't know the things that you have done. Maybe you are feeling like Gideon. Like, yeah, this thing can happen for other people, but not for me, man. I've done too many bad things in my life. I've made too many mistakes in my life. Let me tell you this. When Christ is peace, you are reconciled with yourself and you recover your full identity in him. He says, go in the strength you have because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. You are restored to the same original person you were when I created you. Because I am your peace. And so you're reconciled with yourself. And the last point of the Lord is peace. Is that you have been given the ability to reconcile others to him. That you have, because you know the Lord is peace, that you know you have an opportunity to share this peace, Lord, with somebody else. 
that they too can be reconciled first to God and second to themselves. And so I'm encouraging us over this season of Christmas to understand these three things. One is that let nothing tell you that you're not deserving of the love of God. Let no one, no situation, no circumstances, nothing that you have done tell you you are not deserving of his goodness. And secondly, understand that your mistakes and whatever you've done should never define you because he is the one that created you and he should define you. And thirdly, that you have an opportunity today and moving forward to be able to share this Jesus Christ with somebody else so that they too can be reconciled to God. Would you mind please standing with me? And so, my prayer this morning is that we will understand that our salvation is not our work. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And if you are here, you've been feeling like, man, I just need to start doing more good stuff. You know, I need to start going to church more often. All these are good things. But those are not the things that save you. Going to church is amazing. It keeps the family together. It, it helps you stay connected to other believers so that you can live out this Christian life. But going to church doesn't save you. It is the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. Because he is the offerer, he is the offering, and he is the high priest. And as such, he has become our mediator between man and God. And it is through him that we are reconciled with God. So I'm inviting you this morning, if you are here and you know that's you. You've been trying hard, you've been trying different things to be a good person be the right wife to your husband or be the right husband to your wife or a good friend to your friends in your own strength. I'm inviting you to allow this Lord peace to reconcile you to the Father God. And He's the one who is going to empower you to live out this Christian life in a way that is consistent with his plans and purposes for your life. And so please just wave at me if that's you. Please can we all have our eyes closed. Just wave at me if that's you. You know this is you. Just wave at me. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that other hand. If you're here and you know that you are hesitating. It's like, oh, should I, should I not? Will I be embarrassed? I'm inviting you. Nobody's going to embarrass you here today. Just wave at me. Just wave at me high so that I know you're bold about this decision that you're making. Thank you. Thank you. Church, I want us to pray together this prayer with the people who have put their hands up. 
please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that it is because of you that we have peace with God. Therefore, we ask that you would come into our hearts and save us. Lord, we confess with our mouths that you are Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the people here today and especially those who have raised their hands. Lord, I seal this decision with the Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our salvation. Uh, that the enemy would not come to lie to them of this decision that they've made today. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the work that you have done, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. And we bless you today. In Jesus' name.